Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters. We're the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. Welcome to 2024. This is our first episode of the new year. I'm Bruce Johnson, of course, joined by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. And we're kicking off this year with a Literature Wednesday episode. So we are starting a brand new book. You've probably hopefully seen it by now. If you're not following us on Gab at TRD Show, Facebook at TRD Show, Instagram at TRD Show, uh, X at Real TRD Show, and Getter, also at DRD Show. <laughs> Why do we need to add the real there for X? Because someone already stole our, our name, so I had to... Really? Add. Yeah, so we have the real TRD Show. <laughs> so find us on all those platforms, and uh, you'll find our calendar, which is where we announced this earlier last week, that our brand new book is Mere Christendom by Douglas Wilson. Um, that is, uh, that's all out there. So if you want to see what the chapters are, we're going to be reading this month. There are five, I believe counted five literature Wednesday episodes this month. And so lots and lots of chapters to get through. All of those are on our calendar on our social media pages. So check those out. Um, today we are specifically going to be honing in on chapters one and two. And there's so much there. Uh, we're going to spend this whole episode talking about those. and then. It's really going to pick up because next week we're doing three chapters. The week after that, I think we're doing three chapters. And there's like 20 chapters to get through in, in five episodes. So there's there's a lot here. So you can get your copy of this book. Um, I think Canon Press has it. Amazon has it. It's all over the place. Just grab your copy, read along with us. And um, we, hope you in, we hope you enjoy because we certainly do. This is a really cool book. Before we get into all that, though, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. And it's Wednesday. Jacob gets to be the honorable member of the show who kicks off the year with our first verse. He ended last year with our final verse wrap up. High praise, high honor there. Kick off this year with the verse wrap up. So, sorry. What, what I, I can't believe I start and end the year with the verse of the week. <laughs> That's right. It really should That's not right. be that way, but it ended up being this way. Um, <laughs> it is. Honor. <laughs> our verse this week is Isaiah 9 verses 6 through 7 beginning so I have here so I'm the one who picked the verse so please I, I understand it's first first uh first verse of the year but I had to like take out the last part of verse 7 and just take the first one because I liked the way it sounded however it just if I took all of verse 7 it would just be way too long, but definitely read the rest of verse seven. And if you want to read the read it as after I've done reading it, then that's totally fine. But just to let you know, so you're not confused and saying, "Wait, you didn't you didn't read all of verse seven? Yes, I intentionally did that. All right. So this verse, uh, it says. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And that is the verse. I think that that last sentence there, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That That is from verse 7, and that's what I wanted to bring in. Um which I thought was key to talking about the rest of this verse. Now, for those who know, this is 
a verse talking about Christmas. This is a verse talking about Christ's birth. Um, this is a prophecy from Isaiah, from the Old Testament, of of what is what is going to occur in the New Testament of Christ's birth. And so, with this, with this prophecy, we have the fact that the government shall be upon his shoulders. And this is why everyone at the time in the New Testament thought that Christ was coming to reign. Thought that Christ and, and Christ did come to reign. However, they thought he was coming to have a physical reign. They thought that he was, um, that he was coming to overthrow the Roman Empire and become the new emperor, become the new king. And it seems to say from Isaiah that that's, that's what was going to happen. However, um, that's not what did. And that's why Christ said to, uh, said to Pilate that my kingdom is not of this world. It does not come out of the means that we think it will come out of. So with that said, I um, wanted to speak to the fact that I think there's a very interesting part in here, and I was mentioning this to Bruce during the pre-show, and uh, it's just something I noticed in this that I thought was very, very interesting. Um, uh, the fact that God's name seems to be broken up into four parts. Now, there seems to be a few little things, and I might be off on this, um, but... Um, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Very, very interesting, the fact that they used those four names. And I wanted to speak to the fact that it, it um, it's very similar to the four spheres of, the four Kyperian Ky spheres of authority. Um, this first one, wonderful counselor, as we know, uh, a pastor is a counselor, someone who counsels. And someone who counsels the people, even the way that a pastor or prophet in the Old Testament was used was to counsel the king, was to make sure that the king understood what what he was supposed to do and what was God's plan. This counselor and even today, a pastor, even though he does fulfill counseling du duties in like marriage counseling and counseling personally and all that type of stuff, he is a counselor to the entire congregation, teaching them and directing them where they should go telling them what this is wrong, this is right. Um, that could be seen as a counselor. Moving on, you have the mighty God. This is God himself. This is God. Without any other modifiers, this is God, mighty God. That is his individual. That is the individual. Um, and then, and I, I think that's kind of self-explanatory. If I'm a little bit off here, Bruce, let me know. Um and then you have the Everlasting Father. Um, that is the family government, it would seem. Uh, this with the father figure being the head. And then you have the Prince of Peace. That being the civil authority. Uh, with princes, obviously. Hopefully hopefully that's quite obvious and I don't have to explain that. Uh, so, again, I just thought that was an interesting, something very interesting to point out. Um, again, I don't know if that's what that's supposed to mean or not. But I thought I would bring that up. But yeah. hopefully, everybody, please stay tuned for Friday when Bruce breaks this down because he'll do a better job than I did. He'll actually bring something in instead of just bringing some weird idea. Oh, that's, idea. that's doubtful. That is such a cool <laughs> idea. And actually, there is no Friday episode this week. But oh, oh I'm, I'm so, sorry. I'm I am sorry. perfectly happy to leave that verse in your capable hands. That was, <laughs> that was really well done. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. <clears throat> and what's what's really cool to clinch it all, to bring it all together is Christ is Lord over all of those things, right? Over mm-hmm. over the individual, over the church, over the family, over the state, um, over everything. So yeah. um, that's, that's what that's, that passage is, is getting yeah. at. And yeah, and that's stated all throughout um, those two verses. The fact that the government shall be upon his shoulders and then the fact of the Prince of Peace and also of the increase of his government. So the fact that Christ especially rules over the civil authorities and all these other things. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was great. Thank you, Jake. Very, very well done. Um, So as we get into these two chapters, it's uh, become customary for us to read off and... um, read off the titles here because they at least give you some snippets into the book. But um, for those of you who maybe don't know, this book was released um, earlier this year as part of a special box. You may have seen that sitting on my shelf for large chunks of this year's episodes. Jacob now has that on his shelf because he just got the box. Um, but it was released as this, this really cool package. Yeah, there it is. And so there's Christ is Lord stickers. There are um, there's a songbook, which oh, I have it over there, um, which is great. There's the box, obviously, which is awesome that, you know, mail carriers across the entire U.S. are now shipping boxes that <laughs> clearly say Christ is Lord on them and have Psalms, too, and so many other things. I mean, that's just awesome. Um, and you can tell so, they were not happy. They messed yeah. my box up a lot. <laughs> this they messed is, up my box. This is new. Like, this is I got this only a few weeks ago and there's already like tarnished edges in these wow these broken up yep. pieces of it it's like yep they were not careful with yeah. this thing on purpose but anyways yeah. uh great book you can get it without the box but getting it with the box you get the full experience which is really cool um and it's it's really well done because uh you know, even if you if you were wondering, like, hey, what is this? What is this about? You know, what is this whole box or this box, this book about on the inside cover? It says Christ conquered the West the first time, and this is how he'll do it again. Uh, and when he does it again, Christians must be ready to take the lead. Jesus really is the answer to taxes, civil resistance and speech laws. However, Christians do not need another political platform. They need a plan. This book is that plan. And that's kind of the premise here. That's the idea, right? We, for so long, have thought, oh, the Republican Party, that's going to be our savior. That's what's going to you know, turn this whole ship around, the sinking Titanic that is America. Uh, the, the Republican Party is going to turn it around. And then every single time, they fail us miserably. And we were just confounded, scratching our heads like, but why? I don't understand. Like, they want low taxes. They want this. They want that, right? And as it turns out, uh, that's not actually how we fix these problems. We cannot fix political problems without understanding it religiously, without understanding Mm. the true issue, the spiritual issue. This is a a spiritual battle that has very real earthly repercussions. And so that's what this book uh, talks about. So the two chapters we'll be discussing today, the first one is talking about the dangers of secularism and more importantly, the wickedness of secularism. And then the second chapter is simply titled Taxation. So I'll be taking the first chapter, um, and then Jacob's going to take the second chapter. So there's there's a lot to get through, but talking about secular, when we talk about the secular world or something that's secularized or, you know, 
someone who is secular, a secular humanist, you know, what are we talking about? There's a really good definition for this on page three, quote, secularism is the idea that it is possible for a society to function as a coherent unit without reference to God. It's the idea that we can understand what human rights are without knowing what a human being actually is, which obviously hmm. is, is insanity, right? You're trying to protect something when you don't even know what it is you're trying to protect, right? And hence they fail. They murder 60 million of them in the womb, right? Because they have no idea what a human life is because they don't believe we have a soul. And so if we don't have a soul, well, then they get to change biology. If that's all it is, it's just chemicals, then why not just change the chemicals and just call it something else, right? That's, that's how they change the game. Um, but moving on, page four, quote, the public square cannot be neutral. This is really important. We're going to talk about this a lot. And we have talked about this a lot over the last two years. Um, if Jesus is Lord, then Caesar isn't. If Jesus is Lord, the liberties of those who don't believe in him are far more secure than the liberties of everybody in the hands of a Caesar who answers to no one above him, end quote. If you don't get that, <laughs> um, look around you, <laughs> right? We, we're living in a society today where the people of America don't believe that there's anything above the civil government. That's it, except maybe themselves, right? They suddenly decide to change it, then, and we're going to get into that in a second as well. But when Caesar is Lord, bad things happen. When that's the mm -hmm. highest point of appeal, right? Bad things happen. Quote, in Christian societies, overreach is a possibility. The scripture teaches that all men are sinners and men will sin in Christian societies as well as in secular ones. But in secular societies, overreach is not a possibility but rather a, necess a necessity by definition. If there's no God above the state, then the state has become God. The point past which there is no appeal. At the point, you, you can't appeal any higher than the state, then the state has become God. And overreach, the civil government controlling every facet of your life, which is what the, the secularists <laughs> ironically claim, Christians want to do with Christian nationalism. Oh, they want to control everything. They want to make everyone live like a Christian. Yeah. Oh, no. No murder. No stealing. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> that's, that's horrible. That's I couldn't imagine a world like that. I, could you just imagine how horrible that would be? <laughs> Page uh, nine, he continues, quote, If we are to have rights at all, in the strong sense, they must come from God. God-given rights cannot be revoked by any agency of man. If such rights are not grounded in the will of God, then whatever space I might be allowed to move around in is something that can be revoked. The state gives and the state takes away, and blessed be the name of the state. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> if, if the state is your ultimate source of appeal, if that is what defines good and evil, if that is what defines what is just and what is not, what is true and what is not <clears throat> looking at you, Facebook and government censorship, right? <clears throat> what you can talk about and what you can't, if that is the state, then you, you, they can take it away. They can take away everything you have. They have become your God. And we see just like COVID, they can tell you if you can or can't breathe. They can tell you if you can or can't leave your house past a certain time of day, they can tell you if you can or can't order 
beer or alcohol at a, at a restaurant without also ordering food, they can tell you if you can or can't, uh, you know, inject a lethal uh, uh, chemical into your body, right? That they ridiculously call a vaccine. They can tell you all that. And that's just one year of our American history. Earlier in the 80s and the 70s, they could tell you whether or not you could homeschool your children. And they arrested seven fathers for saying, no, I'm going to homeschool my children. Now, thankfully, they stood up and fought. And so now we have that right back again. But that happened because we said, no, the civil government's in charge of my rights. They're the ones who define whether I have them or not. Instead of saying, no, they come from God, which is how we had such a blessed and prosperous nation to begin with. Page 16, he went on and said, quote, Secularism is relativistic of necessity because all societies reflect the nature and attributes of their God. If man is God, as he is in secularism, then the ethics of that society will reflect the nature of man. But man changes all the time. He is unstable like water. Secular ethics is relativistic because man, the God of the system, is himself relative. Right? Man changes all the time, back and forth. He's fluid like water right? You, you can't pin him down. It's like, you know, trying to catch smoke. It's like trying to nail jello to the wall. One day we have this opinion. The next day we have that. The heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? We don't know our own hearts, right? How in the world can we make a prosperous nation based on our own feelings and our own ideas of what's just and what's not coming from us? It can't happen, which is why we're, uh, America's crumbling today. Uh, final quote, and then I'll pass it over to Jake. Page 18, he said, quote, Godless secularism still maintains an impressive facade, like an ornament, uh, I'm sorry, ornate shell of a long dead creature of the deep blue sea. There's enough to keep quite a number of people from pointing out the obvious to it that the shell is hollow. <laughs> so a lot of people have conspired together to not notice what is going on. <laughs> right. And, and that's hearkening back to Psalm 2. What do we read in Psalm 2? Why do the heathen nations vainly rage? Why do the people plot a vain thing? Why do they conspire together and take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart, right? They're, they're, they're together. They're taking counsel. They're saying we together are going to pretend like we can burst apart the laws of God and still survive. It's madness. It's insanity. Insanity. It's the epitome of foolishness. And yet that's what they're doing. Every single nation today largely, is saying, we want to be God. We want to throw off the laws of God that he built into nature, that he created us to obey, that he created us for. In this perfect, in his perfect creation, he said, it is good. And it was good because he created it with these laws. And they want to have nothing to do with that, with that paradise. And that's why they're getting the torment and the, the evil that's happening all around us right now. All right. So that's the wickedness of secularism. Really good chapter. I left out so much. Realize that's just a few snippets, a few quotes. There's so many other great quotes, historical references, examples, just biblical passages on and on and on. You need to get this book and check out that chapter, but I'm going to pass it over to Jake and he's going to talk about chapter two on taxation. What do you got, Jake? Yeah, and we're going to we're going to start on page 22, but as a little bit of a uh not disclaimer, but preface to what I'm going to talk about, he begins 
to talk about um, civil government. And Bruce was speaking about that a little bit, talking about nation being run by secularists and stuff like that. But what we're talking about in this chapter is what the title specifically says is, is taxes and specifically personal possession. And uh, let me start with the quote here on page um, 22. Uh, Doug Wilson says, so if you chase chafe under rules and regs that spew forth from all the alphabet agencies, then you are not free. It doesn't matter that you are currently not being harassed. Harassed. No despot can torment all his slaves simultaneously. When there is no standard above the state, then the state becomes the standard. There is no God above the system, then the system becomes God. And that is added to the fact that what Bruce was saying, and what was said in the last chapter, the fact that if uh, if there is no God, then... That system is the God. If there is nothing above the system, then that system is the absolute. That system is God. Um, yep. So the fact that, and I think this also I wanted to point out, is that I've heard a lot of people, especially within Western states, especially out in the West more, they're not being persecuted as hardly as people are on the coasts, on California or in New York, but that doesn't mean you're not, that doesn't mean that you're free. Just because, just because, um, just because the uh, despot cannot ta- uh, cannot torment all the slaves at once, doesn't mean you're not a slave. Um, moving on to page twenty three, I want I want to get through these quotes quite quickly because I have a good amount of them. Uh, so I'll just be going through giving short, short commentaries on them. Uh, page 23, uh, Doug Wilson continues, Our current sin is found in the way... Oh, and sorry, I wanted to say before I went into this um, this quote, he is talking about uh, that the fact of stealing, the fact of being stolen from, is not a sin. However, and he, he gives a short little caveat to this, and that's what he discusses in this quote here. So I just wanted to make sure that we understood this fact. That's what he's talking about. The, f- the fact of stealing is the, is the um, punishable offense. Being stolen from means you're a victim. You're not the one at fault. Unless. And so I'll, I'll give you the quote. Our current sin is found in the way we are being stolen from. When God prohibits stealing, this assumes the institution of private property. Uh, and with, so that's the end of that quote. I have another quote to continue this, but real quick, the fact, and Doug Wilson brings this, bring this up a lot, the fact that stealing means there has to be something to be stolen. The fact that God says stealing is wrong means that the ownership of property and the ownership of stuff as Doug Wilson would say, is good. So, being stolen from is bad. Getting that stuff taken away is bad. Having that stuff is not. So, to continue on on page 33, the um, uh, next paragraph down, uh, Doug Wilson says, It is not a sin to write a big check to the government. It is not a sin to be stolen from. It is a sin... To write that check and tell yourself that you're just doing your share. 
That is the sin of being delusional when God has required us to be clear-headed. It is a sin to believe that our government is anything other than a pirate ship of thieves, by the thieves, and for the thieves. It is a sin to go on believing the lies when we have no good reason to. Yep. I thought that was a pretty good one. That was pretty strong. That's great. Yeah. Um, so, to continue on, uh, hopefully that was enough commentary on that. I think that was quite spelled out and clear, the fact that we can't we can't keep saying, oh, oh, keep keep giving checks, you know, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to give all of our money to the civil government. More than 10%, you know. Um, <laughs> and he, Doug Wilson, does talk about the fact of God being a jealous God, and I want to get to that at some point, so hopefully that comes up soon. Um, however, on page 24, Doug Wilson continues, and I think this is also a very good one. Um, uh, he says, I cannot commit adultery if there is no marriage. I cannot murder if there is no right to life. I cannot bear false witness if there is no truth. Uh, and end quote there for a second. So he is talking about, uh, and I mentioned this before, the fact of you can't do these crimes without the inverse being true. So you cannot commit adultery if there is no such thing as marriage. You cannot bear false witness if there is no such thing as truth. So the fact of the inverse being true, then the then the punishable offense can exist. Um, to continue on the quote, and bringing this to the point, I cannot steal or covet unless there is such a thing as my neighbor having a right to whatever is modified by his own personal pronoun. To adapt the nouns from tenth from the tenth commandment, his house, his servants, his livestock, or anything else that is his. End quote. Pretty good one too, the fact that we are to own stuff, and the that ownership is not wrong. It's the stealing that is wrong. And yep. stealing is wrong because we own stuff. Hopefully I did not belabor that point too much. Uh, on page 26, Doug Wilson uh, goes on to say, This is why a bedrock quali qualification for a political office is a man is, is that a man must fear God, love the truth, and hate covetousness. Exodus 18.21. End quote. And I think that was good to tack on to that what I was last saying is the fact that if you're being stolen from, there needs to be laws to say that stealing is wrong. And we do have those laws instituted by God. But now this civil authority then puts that on the table and says, this is what we all must follow. So now we have a, and that person can't hold political office or shouldn't hold political office if they do not believe or they do not fear God, love the truth, and hate covetousness. To move on to page 27, uh, Doug Wilson says, whenever the Bible talks about property, it always talks about it in two categories. The first is God's absolute ownership of all things, Deuteronomy 10.14, and the second is the relative ownership that you and your neighbor enjoy, uh, Deuteronomy 8.18. Uh, I'll continue on to the uh, next 
immediate uh, verse here. And this is the one, not verse, sorry. Next immediate um, uh, quote. This one, I think, is what I was talking about before. And I, I like this. I like this one. And I thought this was a very good one to bring up. Uh, on page 28, uh, Doug Wilson says, the first level of taxation must not, first, the level of taxation must not rival God. First Samuel 8, 15. God claims a tithe, and if that is, and that is all God needs, and if God is a jealous God, then we ought to see any attempt on the part of the civil government to go past 10% as an aspiration to deity. So, in in 1 Samuel 8:15 it says that the government will want more than 10% or no sorry the fact that god wants 10% and if you go above that then you are asking more than god then you are then you are aspiring to become god a deity let's see i think i have two yes i have two left and i i think i can get through these quite quickly here. We have one minute left. I'll just speed read through them. Uh, page 29, Doug Wilson says, so then in summary, taxes are theft when the government is aspiring to be God in the lives of its subjects. When the government is refusing to do what the real God requires of them and is doing something else instead, usually something very expensive. And when the government is not obeying its own legitimate process for levering taxes. So um, to make this make sense, he is basically summarizing what we had just gone over. Uh, Doug Wilson went through three points. Um, uh, the first being the level of taxation and we what we had just uh, said. The second, the taxes need to be levied in the main so that the rulers can perform the functions uh, that God requires of them. So the fact that the taxes are used for the right means. And the last one being that the taxes are lawful in accordance with the Constitution, the established Constitution of the people. Lastly, my last uh, quote here. I know I'm going a little bit over time, but hopefully this is a good one. Um, on page 30, Doug Wilson says, I am not issuing a call to action, but rather a call for understanding and recognition. Clearly, this is not, not because action is irrelevant, but rather because rash and... Um, precipitous action is useless is usually destructive think and then do end quote so i think that one was very good the fact that what we're doing here is not we're not taking up our arms and going after the civil government because they're taking more than 10 percent we must think about this we must first understand that they are taking more than what god requires i think that's the first point that needs to be made, and the whole American people need to understand that first before before the small select few of us can go over to the civil government and say, we demand that you follow God. So yeah. with that said, that is all of my quotes. That's great. Thank you, Jacob. Yeah. Thanks for breaking those down. These are some pretty big chapters. Um, so we are obviously condensing a lot of it down for you into some bite-sized snippets, but uh, we hope that they're simply appetites and uh, you go back for the full course yourself because that is the intention of these episodes. We're not replacing the book. We're just trying to uh, pique your interest in the contents. So definitely go back and check that out for yourself. Um, all right. Thanks everyone for joining. 
We're looking forward to seeing you next week. Um, don't forget, our calendar is on our social media pages. You can find that. Uh, just go to our website, actually, trdshow.net. Um, it's free. You know, it costs you nothing to go to our website. And it costs you nothing to follow us either. Um, and it really helps the show grow. So if you go to our website, trdshow.net, and uh, you uh, follow us, you click the links to all of our social media platforms, it really helps us grow. So we appreciate that. If you have questions or comments or you wanted to share one of your two or three of your favorite quotes, <laughs> share them all with us, trdshow at protonmail.com. You can send all your emails there, trdshow at protonmail.com. Looking forward to seeing you guys next Monday where we break down current events once again from a biblical perspective. Until then, have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your weekend and a wonderful Lord's Day. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord.